Amen. You can be seated. And so glad for God's goodness uh, and His grace to us. And uh, we all would be in big trouble without uh, God's grace. And I know, I, I certainly would. Uh, I hope you know that too, that you know, we need God's grace. Um, because that's the only way we can can make it. Uh, if you have your Bible this morning, I invite you to turn to Psalm 117. We're going to look at the shortest uh, chapter in the Bible this morning. It's just two verses. Uh, this is really a continuation of last week's message. It's kind of part two, so if you missed part one, I encourage you to go online and listen to part one. Uh, but it should stand on its own as well. Uh, you know, uh, Paul challenged us in Romans chapter 12 that we looked at last week to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, our reasonable act of worship. And so this morning we're going to ask this question, what exactly is worship? And why do we do it? And, and what, what's it entail? Uh, the Bible talks a lot about worship, especially the book of Psalms. Uh, we would expect that because Psalms was the uh, book of worship of uh, the Old Testament uh, and the early church. Uh, it was their, their hymn book. Uh, and so praise and worship is much more than just singing. It's more than music. Uh, it's about subscribing worth to something or someone. And as I told you last week, and I remind us again, there's only one that's worthy of our worship. The reality is all of us worship something or someone, but there's only one that's worthy of that worship, and it's God Almighty. Uh, and so Psalm 117 is the shortest chapter in the Bible uh, and uh, talks about uh, this question of worship. So let's look at it together. It says this, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, Laud him, all you peoples, for his merciful kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. The Bible also says it is good and right to praise the Lord. It's a good thing when we praise. And Frank, can I tell you that no matter who you are or what you're going through in life, there's things you ought to praise God for. You understand that the very fact you're here, that you're breathing, that you have life, is a gift from God. There's some folks that didn't wake up this morning. They didn't plan it, but that was the reality, that there were some folks that met death this morning. But God has given you life. Yeah, you may have troubles, and... You know, so much, so often we put our focus on our troubles and things that are wrong. And when we do that, guess what happens? Our worship suffers because we put our worship on somewhere where it doesn't belong. And so then as we continue to do that more and more, it seems like God gets further and further away. But I want us to know, friends, that it's not God that moves. The Bible says God is the same today as he was yesterday and he'll be the same tomorrow. He never changes. 
And his location never changes. And so if you're not near him as you used to be or you once were, it's you that's moved. But the good thing is, is that recentering ourselves and reclaiming, uh, resetting our worship just simply takes asking God to come and help us. When we ask God to come, he comes. He meets us. We take that first step and he brings us the rest of the way no matter how big the gulf is between us. And so the psalm, he writes, he writes this is the hymn book of the Jewish synagogue, the temples, and they would sing this as they went, um, they would chant this psalm when they went for the Passover, when they were heading to Jerusalem. This was one of the psalms that they would chant. But it wasn't written or focused on just the Jewish nation, was it? Because this psalm says, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. In uh, King James, New King James, some of our uh, newer translations will say nations or people. And that's really the idea is every person, every ethnic group, praise the Lord. And it calls our attention way back to the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 12, you remember the promise that God made to Abraham? He said, Abraham, I will make you a great nation, and you from that nation will be a blessing to all the earth. He said, I will bless those that bless you, and I will curse those that curse you. God has always had a heart for everyone. His design and desire for the nation of Israel was that they would be a light to the rest of the world, so that they would worship the one true God, but also that through their worship and through their living, others would see that and they would come to worship God that way too. You see, worship's not just something you do on Sunday, although we certainly do that. And it's not just our singing and it's just not our praising. It's not just uh, prayers. It's, it encompasses a lot of things. And in fact... Paul challenges us to see everything we do as an act of worship, how we live our life. says a lot about what we worship. And so, just to remind us that it's not just the Gentiles that should praise the Lord, I want to call your attention to Psalm 135, verses 1 through 3. It says this, Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord, give praise, O servants of the Lord, who stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing to his name, for it is pleasant. And so God desires to hear you sing and praise him. Not because he's egotistical. Not just because he needs you to pat him on the back, but he needs you to understand you can count on him. And that he's always there for you, and that he alone is worthy of your worship. And so, as we look at that, we say, well, how do we reset our worship? How do we make sure that the worship that we give to God is what God intends for it to be. Well, I'm glad you asked, because I'm going to tell you three things. That if we're biblically worshiping God, and if we're wanting worship to be about God and not us, 
these three things must be true. The first thing is that worship must involve gathering together. You know, you can worship, and in fact, the Scriptures tell you that you are to worship God by yourself, you know, when you're out fishing, when you're out working through the day, when you're doing various things. But Scripture is also very adamant that God's people are to gather together to worship Him. You cannot be the child of God that God intends for you to be walking alone. You cannot do it. In fact, Satan will eat you for lunch if you try to do it by yourself. There have been plenty of folks say, Listen, preacher, I believe in Jesus, I believe in God, but I just don't believe in the church. I tell you, that's a lie straight from the pit of hell from Satan because you cannot love God and love Jesus Christ if you do not love God's people. Now, the truth of the matter is there's things about church that are unlovely because we're made up of fallen, broken people. There's not one of you that's perfect. This building does great on its own through the week. Sometimes, it doesn't always, but usually it trucks along pretty good on its own. But as soon as somebody walks through those doors, there's trouble. Why? Because the church is a hospital. It's a hospital for people that have this disease called sin and people who are broken. Because this house of God It's some place where those that are broken can come and be made whole. But guess what? It's not the song leader, it's not the preacher, it's not the deacon, it's not the Sunday school teacher, it's not the person sitting beside you in the pew that can make you whole. The one that can make you whole is Jesus Christ. And the thing is, he says, I will make you whole. But in order for him to make us whole, we have to let him. He's not going to force himself. Just like nobody forced you to be here today probably. I hope they didn't. I hope you came because you wanted to. Maybe somebody invited you, and that's a great thing. We're glad that you're here, but worship has to involve not just singing praises on our own, but it has to involve gathering together. We see this in the Old and the New Testament. I'm going to call your attention to Acts chapter 2, verses 46 and 47. Peter has preached a great Pentecost message, and thousands of people got saved. What did they do? Verse 46 tells us, Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with a glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And so the early church continued this practice that's from the Old Testament of gathering together. And by the way, they didn't just come together on Sundays. What does the book of Acts chapter 2 say? Those crazy Christians showed up on Monday too. And not just on Monday, but on Tuesday. And Wednesday. And day by day, in other words, 
they understood that they had to live life together in community of faith for it to work out. It's just like if you've watched one of these um, wildlife shows on maybe the National Geographic channel, and you know, they always show the, the lion out in the uh, plains there, and he's hiding in bush, and there's zebras. Lions like to eat zebras. And when there's a big pack, he doesn't strike them. But when there's one that's off by himself, that's the one that the lion goes after because he knows he can catch that one. Understand, and James said it this way, he said, listen, the devil is like a roaring lion wandering about seeking who he can devour. And if you're trying to live the Christian life alone, Satan's going to have your lunch. But when you've surrounded yourselves with brothers and sisters in Christ, Satan knows it's much harder to get you. Now, he's still going to try, but he knows it's going to be much harder. So the early church understood the importance of gathering together. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verses 17 through 20. It says, Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of God is. Don't get drunk with wine, for what that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with the Lord in your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So if you're going to address one another, what does that presuppose? That presupposes there's someone else there for you to sing to. And someone there for you to share. And listen, that's what the body of Christ is supposed to be. We're supposed to be there for one another. Because listen, you may be pretty strong today, but there'll be a day you're not so strong. And you need others coming along to help you. And that's the great thing about the body of Christ. Not that they were perfect, but that Christ is working to make us whole and he uses other believers in that process most of the time. And so we miss out on what God wants to do in our life. But then there's the command of Scripture in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. uh, The writer of Hebrews says this, Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. Well, the writer of Hebrews says, listen, friend, you better be there together. You, you need to gather, especially as you see the Lord coming. And friend, I'm going to tell you, I know this isn't a message about the end times, but the things that are going on in our world today, I can guarantee you it's closer today than it was a year ago. And I can tell you that the day will come when Jesus will come back and it will be too late for us to decide what side of the fence we're going to be on. But while we still have opportunity, we need to make sure we're taking advantage of that, that we're being made whole by the love and grace of God. And that we stir up one another with love and good works. But, But guess what? If you're absent, we can't stir you up. 
So being stirred and stirring one another in love and good works presupposes again that we're together. Yes, you can worship God. And God does love to hear from you, you know, when you're by yourself. There's times when God said, you know, worship uh, prayer is part of worship. God, Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew, he said, when you pray, go in your prayer closet and get along with God. But Jesus also said, you make sure you get to church. That you understand that you have to be together with other people to help you grow in your walk. That there is only one worthy of worship, and it's not you. You are not able to solve your life's problems. You're not able to solve the world's problems. Jesus can, though. And Jesus will use you if you'll let him. And so he says, understand how important it is that you gather together. Yes, worship on your own, privately, individually, and as family, because that feeds the corporate worship that comes together. Because when people have been fed, being fed through the week and God's been dealing with them, guess what? It spills over on Sunday when folks come together. There's something special that happens when God's people come together. And that can't happen if we don't come together. But I also want us to understand that part of worship has to involve, secondly, not only gathering together, but it also has to involve giving together. You know that our giving is an act of worship. There's boxes at the end of uh, both sides of the aisle before you leave the doors uh, there that you put offerings in. If you didn't know what those boxes were, that's what those boxes are. You also give electronically. Why do we do that? Well, part of it is the church needs money to operate. Yes, that's true. But we also understand that God says, you know what, you need to... Give to me, because I've given to you. And an act of our worship is that we freely give to him, because he's freely given to us. Second Corinthians 9, 7 says this, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So we don't give because we have to. We give because we get to. And can I tell you that God can do more with what we have left after we've given to him than if we'd kept it all to ourselves. It doesn't make sense in human math, but God's not bound by human understanding and human ways. It works in God's way. And we believe that, and we practice. We even practice it as a corporate body. Our church ties to uh, missions. Uh, 10% of every dollar that's given, so a dime of every dollar that's given in our offerings goes to support missions uh, in our local area and around the world. Our giving, though, is not just money. It's giving our time, it's giving our talents. There's things God's given us. God hasn't just given us stuff, although he has given us stuff. 
But he's given us hours in the day. And he's given us special abilities and gifts, talents that we have that he's given us because he wants us to share those things. Maybe you're a, a green thumb. Leslie's got a black thumb. She'll kill any plant. She's even killed a cactus before. Uh, the green thumbing is not her gift. She's got other gifts, though. Maybe, you're, maybe God's given you that gift. You're tap man. You can take the sickliest plant and you can baby it and do your magic to it. And I shouldn't have said magic. That's uh, not the best word. But you, you use your talents and you know how you use that miracle grow stuff and boy that sickly plant all of a sudden is healthy and man just thriving. Maybe God's given you the gift of, of singing. Maybe God's given you the gift of art. I tell you that whatever God has given you, he's given it to you so that you can use it to worship him. And part of giving of those things that God has given you is an act of worship. And so, yes, it involves our treasure. And it involves our time. And it involves our talents. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 8, he said this, giving some direction to the disciples. He says, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. In other words, God has blessed you beyond measure. And so you take some of those blessings and you share them. You give them away. Some of you, God has given the talent of cooking, and I'm thankful I get to share in that occasionally. Uh, I share a little bit too much most of the time. But listen, understand that as, if we want to under, live our life as a life of worship, then it means that we've got to be willing to give. And giving does not come naturally. It, when people have a giving heart, it's because God's working in their life. Because left to our own, sinful human nature is taking. Take, 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 take. But when God changes your heart and he's making you whole, because Jesus gave, he asks you to give as well. And a stingy Christian is not a Christian at all. A Christian that's not willing to share and a Christian that doesn't give, not really a Christian. Jesus said, you've freely you've been received, freely give. And here's the thing, no matter what you give, you'll get more back. Now, you don't give so that you get back, but that's the way it works out. And it's not a, a one-to-one or a ten-to-one or a hundred-to-one principle. It's not like some of these TV nutheads that say, Listen, you send me $10, I'm going to pray over that $10, and I'm going to use that $10. God's going to send you $100. That's a bunch of hooey. And when you've done that, all you've done is you've lost $10. That's not the way it works. Now, sometimes God will reward you financially, 
But when you give to others, God makes sure that you're not in need. And it may not be the, the dollars that Jesus returns. It might be some other thing that you get that God sends. Because you've been faithful to give. So God's people have to be giving. And if we're worshiping God and not ourselves, giving comes easily to the child of God. And then lastly, I want us to see this morning that worship also must involve growing. So it's got to involve gathering together, it's got to involve giving, and it's got to involve growing. See, the reality is that Jesus says he does love us. And his merciful kindness that Psalm 117 talks about and gives reason why we should worship God. It's because God will take us just as we are. Broken, dirty, ugly, sinful creatures. And here's the thing. He'll take us just like we are. But he will not leave you like he found you. He will make you into something beautiful and something good. And as a child of God, the process of discipleship and growing means that we become less like us and more and more like Jesus. So that when we go, we stand in eternity before God Almighty, all we've done is change addresses. It's not that big of a change because we've been living with the Lord and we've been living for the Lord here on this earth. And so when we're transported to glory, whenever that might be, it's just a change of address. Understand that worship must involve growing. That God will not leave you like he found you. And as long as you're above dirt, there's things God is teaching you. Look at 1 John 2, 4, and 6. It says this, Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him truly, the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Jesus came and he called a group of twelve to leave their life as they knew it, and follow him. Those 12 followed Jesus. Most of them continued to follow him. There was one, though, that didn't finish well. But as Jesus ministered, he didn't say, you know what, I know there's this one guy, he's going to disappoint me. And I know the other 11, they're not going to be all that great. And so I'm just not going to bother. Is that what he did? That's not what he did. He was faithful to the very end. He prayed in the garden, not my will, but yours be done. He says, listen, so if we don't keep his commandments, we're a liar, and the truth is not in him. That truth he's talking about is Jesus Christ. One of John's favorite analogies for 
uh, Christ was light and truth. And in John chapter 8, Jesus himself said, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. That was verse 32. And then in verse 36, he said, If the Son has made you free, then you are free indeed. Not that you might be free, or one day you'll be, but that you are free indeed. And again, not by your own power, not by your own strength, but by the power of Christ living and residing in you. And because that power and that transformation has taken place, it should drive you to worship Him. And so worship does involve growing. Worship, uh, a theologian has said, is the beginning and the end of the mission of the child of God. Worship is where it starts, and worship's where it ends. Worship's where it starts because it's when we come to Jesus Christ and we say, Lord, I can't do it on my own. I've done it on my own. I've made a mess. Until we realize that we're broken and lost, we can't be saved and found. But once we acknowledge that, we cry out to God to save us, He does. Again, just as we are, but he doesn't leave us like he found us. And so, our worship begins by us coming to acknowledge our need for him. But the thing is, once we're saved, our worship doesn't end. In fact, if Jesus really has come into our life and changed us and he's working on our life, nobody has to drag you to church. Nobody has to drag the dollars out of your wallet and into the offering plate. Nobody has to guilt you into serving the Lord and signing up for nursery duty or for cleaning duty or anything else in the church because God's working in your life and you say, yes, I get to serve the Lord. I get to gather with God's people. I get to give back to God and say, Lord, thank you for what you've done for me. I get to grow and help others grow in their walk with Christ. You see, serving the Lord is not a have to. If our worship is right, it's a get-to. And what a privilege, and I can tell you that that perspective changes everything. If it becomes a drudgery, God's not in that. But if it's a joy, you could say, Lord, I look forward to going. And friend, can I tell you that when you don't look forward to going to church, and when you don't look forward to getting to serve the Lord in some way, or you know, growing closer to Him, when that doesn't excite you, that should set off alarm bells. Because it means not that there's something wrong with God, but there's something wrong in your life that's not where it ought to be. But here's the thing. God has sent those alarm bells through the Holy Spirit to say, hey, listen, you come back. Yeah, you're... You've, Veered off course, get back on the right track. Make a U-turn. And I'm thankful that God allows U-turns by His grace and mercy. Aren't you glad that we serve a God that allows U-turns? I know I've had to take many in my life. God has been gracious to me, much more gracious than I deserve. And I suspect that God's been much more gracious to you than you deserve. 
Because the reality, every one of us deserves to spend eternity in hell. Because of our sin, because of our worship of ourselves. Because we've not given God the worship that he alone is worthy of. We've stolen it and we've put it on ourselves. And yet God, as Psalm 117 reminds us, God is merciful. His merciful kindness, his grace is great toward us. Not just for one certain group of people, but for everyone. John 3.16 says what? God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting Church, I want to tell you, I'm glad I'm included in that whosoever, and I hope you're glad you're included as well. And I hope that you know that. So who is worthy of our worship? It ain't you. And it's not even your preacher, your Sunday school teacher, your mom or your dad or your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your spouse. It alone is God. He alone is worthy of our worship. And if anything else is in that spot, we need to get it out of that spot and put God where he belongs. Let's pray again. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your goodness and your love. And Lord, thank you for your loving kindness. You're so good to us. And your love is oh so never-ending. And Lord, that is reason alone to worship you. God, we get so busy in life and we allow other things to demand our time and our treasure and our talents. We worship things of this world. Help us to understand that as long as we're worshiping by ourselves or we're worshiping ourselves, we will never be what you want us to be. But if we'll surrender to you and say, Lord, I come just as I am broken and a mess, worn out, that you'll take us and you'll make us new. There's one here today that's never trusted you. They've never found new life would today be the day that they start a new journey by calling out to you and acknowledging you as Lord and Savior, receiving the free gift of eternal life. But Lord, maybe there's one of your children here and they've made decisions for you, but Lord, their worship has been off. They're worshiping things of this world. Lord, they need to come to you and say, Lord, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Because, Lord, our salvation, the salvation that we try to earn ourselves, fails 100% of the time. But your way of salvation never fails. That you paid the price for us. So help us, we pray, to keep our worship centered around where it ought to be, and that's you not us. God, may we realize we sing for and live for an audience of one. 
that you really are alive and working in this world. And you really are the only answer this world has. God, help us as your people to live for you, to worship you with all our heart. That those that don't know you will come to know you because they see you working in us. So Lord, help us to worship together. Help us to give together. Help us to grow together, we pray. Let's stand together. We're going to sing this old hymn, Just As I Am. And I'm, as I've mentioned several times today, God will take you just as you are. But understand this, he will not leave you like he found you. So if you're not willing for him to change you, don't you dare come to him. But if you say, you know what, just as I am, I come.